I'm like really anxious to preach this sermon. So I don't really have any announcements, announcements um, to make this morning or wonderful insights to make or anything like that. Um, I just really want to get going on this sermon. Uh, I am taking a break from Second Chronicles today. We preached through chapter 18 last Sunday, and that's available online um, if you'd like to hear that. But this Sunday, I wanted to do a topical sermon uh, for you. So open up in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. The first epistle of John, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 15 through 17. So why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word? Good to see so many of you here today, encouraging in heart and mind. Scripture says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, but he who does the will of God abides forever. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is The Distortion of Love and the Proliferation of Evil in America. The Distortion of Love and the Proliferation of Evil in America. They are associated. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks and praise to you for this time that we do have in your word. And we ask that you would use this sermon for good to give people insight, to understand what's going on in their culture, in our nation, to understand error when it's preached and proclaimed and taught and foisted. Lord, we just ask and pray that your people here would love you, that our love for you would be great, that our love for you would be first, for only then can we truly love our neighbor. We ask that you be glorified here now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Love is defined in various ways here in American society but it has become akin to making accommodation for whatever anyone else wants to be or whatever anyone else wants to do. This is how love is defined to the American. It means you make, if you're a loving person, accommodation to whatever anyone else wants to be or whatever anyone else wants to do. And this is nothing new. If you study the history of man, he has been adept at defining or redefining love in some way other than how the Lord defines love in Holy Scripture. Just look at the history. He's been doing it forever. And sadly, American Christianity has adopted, to a great extent, the world's view and definition of love. If someone is offended by what you say, that is viewed as not being loving. In fact, that is the paramount tenet of this definition of love by our society, to not accommodate yourself to whatever someone wants to be or whatever someone wants to do. That's the greatest sin. It's their most paramount tenet of their definition of love. Love accommodates all. And this is a distortion of love 
Distortion is the action of giving a misleading account or impression, and that is what American society and American Christianity have done to love. They dispel and dispense a misleading account or impression of love, and their distortion allows evil to proliferate in the land. And that is what I want to address this morning, how the distortion of love aids and abets the proliferation of evil here in America. Under the guise and proffering of love, we have hid ourselves from confronting evil. Under the guise and proffering of love, we have decided to stand still off to the side and let evil proliferate. As Tolkien asked in The Hobbit, when did we allow evil to become stronger than us? Or another way of saying it, and the overriding theme of the Hobbit is, how did we allow evil to become so strong? This is how. Many view resistance to evil as unloving. That's how. Many view resistance to evil as unloving. This is the presupposition that fuels the ability for evil to proliferate in America. and it is taught by the bulk mass of pulpits in America. Understand the road to hell is paved with a thousand kindnesses, with wanting to be nice, with wanting to be liked and to fit in, with wanting to not offend. Many view resistance to evil as unloving. But the truth is, love does not negate resistance to evil. Mark that. Love does not negate resistance to evil. True biblical love does not negate resistance to evil. True biblical love does not legitimize silence in the face of evil. Love and resistance to evil are not contrary to one another, as most of American Christianity wants you to believe. It is not an either-or. In fact, love most often demands confrontation of evil taking the evil to task in the right way, given what the situation may be of how evil is demonstrated, of course. Evil must be spoken against, and it must have action taken against it. Biblical love does not teach the world's view or definition of love, that one must accommodate to whatever anyone else wants to be or whatever anyone else wants to do. Biblical love does not teach the world's view or definition of love that one must accommodate to whatever anyone else wants to be or whatever anyone else wants to do. Biblical love is defined by, yes, the Bible. Scripture teaches us what love is. It teaches us how to love God and it teaches us how to love our neighbor. The law and word of God Teach us how to truly love our neighbor. If you haven't noticed, men don't know how to love their neighbor properly. Over the last several years here in America, I don't know when you ever realize how important the law and word of God is to understand how to properly love your neighbor. The law and word of God teach us what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. If you define love outside of scripture or divorced from scripture, you can use quote unquote love 
to justify anything. You can accommodate yourself to anything. And that is what evil men and dupes in our society are doing in order to sell their evil across America. Distorting love. We saw this with the pre-tendemic, where society and churchmen were using love to justify wearing masks, staying six feet apart, putting gooey stuff on our hands, getting experimental shots, and not working while collecting a check from the government and not conducting the assembling of the saints. It was all undone under the guise of love, but this was not love at all. Rather, it was the use of love to justify tyranny upon men, using love to have evil proliferate in the land. The distortion of love and the proliferation of evil in the land are associated with one another. It is how they're getting the job done, and I've watched it for decades. And it's because we divorced love from Scripture that they're able to get away with it. The ethic of love has to be defined by the Word of God. The churchman said we should do all these things in order to show love to our neighbor, the masking, the shot getting on down the line. But again, love, not defined by Scripture, can be used to justify anything. And most American Christians are so dumb they can. They have no idea what true biblical love is, so they're easily manipulated through this phony love. The pre-tendemic was built on a mountain of lies. I demonstrated that in past sermons. Wearing a mask to show love is wrong because it was a tool of tyrants and the mask does nothing to stop the so-called virus. Getting the shot to show love was wrong as it was forced on many, was experimental and harmed millions. We do not show love by telling people lies. By joining in with the fiction that the emperor's clothes look great while he's standing there in his underwear. God's law says, frankly, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, he says, quote, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, unquote. That's what God calls us to. And yet in the name of love, churchmen said, we don't care what God's law says regarding the matter of lying. We're going to go with the flow of what all the culture believes, rather than tell them the truth, will join in the lie to show love. We do not show people love by telling them lies, as his word declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. The very love chapter, it states, quote, in verse 6, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, unquote. How do Christians love their neighbor in the midst of evil, in the midst of a mountain of lies? By telling them the truth, not by aiding and abetting the evil and going along with the fiction. We do not show love to people by telling them lies. We show them love by telling them the truth. So I preached a sermon against masking. I never wore the mask, ever. I preached a sermon against the experimental shot. While most churchmen were silent or were telling people to do the loving thing and put on the mask and get the shot. The government used the churchmen to tell Christians and Americans lies so that they could impose evil and tyranny upon men. And in the name of love, the churchmen did it.
I have watched the whole of American Christianity use love for the last 30 plus years now as justification to be silent about the proliferation of homosex within our culture. It was all sold under love. You all know the common thing. What can be wrong with two people loving each other? They sold it under the guise of love to accommodate themselves in Christianity to homosex. Again, the law and word of God teaches us what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. If you define love outside of scripture, you can use love to justify anything, including two men or two women marrying each other, which is another perversion and evil. God's love is defined by his law and word. The world in American Christianity distort love in order to justify evil and to make sure any resistance to evil is branded as unchristian behavior. And this is how evil proliferates in America, by using love to justify evil and declaring anyone who opposes the evil as unloving, as a hater. And most men are so weak, they cave in and join the fiction instead of being men and saying, no, this is evil. Instead, they accommodate. Look where we are at now, men becoming women, women becoming men, so-called, children being mutilated, And have you heard the outcry? It's a whisper. They are pushing the filth of homosex and transgenderism in schools across America. And the pulpits of America have aided and embedded it all. They have more love for the evildoer. Their fawning love for the one doing evil helps them legitimize their indifference to the evil. And that's big. Their fawning love over the one doing evil helps them legitimize their indifference to evil. Makes them feel spiritual. I just hope he gets saved. Not confront his evil, not denounce his evil. I just want want him to get saved. They are so worked up to see the evildoer saved, but care nothing for the ones they harm and corrupt. I have watched it for decades. Biblical love, God's love, is not all accommodating to whatever someone wants to be or all accommodating to what someone wants to do. God's love has limits. Universalists, be damned. God's love has limits. Biblical love has limits. How do we know love has limits? Because of the scriptures themselves. Our text that we started out here with today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 states first, do not love the world or the things in the world. That right there, do not love, shows that love has limits. Biblical love has limits. It is not all accommodating. It goes on to say, if anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Love is defined by Scripture. And what we are to love and not love is defined by Scripture. 
Psalm 97.10 states, you who love the Lord hate evil. Love is not all accommodating. Scripture shows us what we are to love and what we are to hate. God's law and word shows us what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. God's word, for example, tells us homosexual acts are evil. They are to be criminalized and punished. So when the world tries to sell such perversion under the guise of love, we have a duty as God's people to speak against it and act against it. That's our duty. Not to just keep our thoughts to ourselves. Oh, that's terrible. That's just ridiculous. Oh, that's... No, to confront it, to take it to task is our duty, to denounce it. We are his ambassadors. We bring his law and word to this nation. And if we are silent, we do it to the hurt of our fellow man. If we are silent, we do it to the hurt of ourselves and our homes. As men, we must speak. We must confront the evil and take it to task. Listen to me now. No one is called by scripture to love evil. Anywhere. Scripture nowhere calls anyone to love evil. The scriptures call upon us to do the exact opposite. We are to hate the evil. We are to resist the evil, both by how we conduct our lives and by proclamation of his law and word with our mouths. Some try to teach that we are not to resist evil. Ever met those people? Yeah, like all over the place. Like tons of Christians. Like I get reports about them every week denouncing the things I have to say. Some try to teach that we are not to resist evil, ever. And they even proffer Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount to convince people of their position. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 38 and 39. This is one of their paramount passages they like to point to for their wrong teaching. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. It is important to understand contextually that Jesus was addressing the lex talionis here, the law of retaliation, which was being wrongly taught at that time by Jewish teachers. We know this historically. The law of retaliation that they were teaching was simply wrong and declared that if someone harmed you, you were duty-bound to harm them up to fourfold of what they did to you. That was their teaching. Christ is coming against this vengefulness they were teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, here in verses 38 and 39. He's coming against their wrong beliefs and their false teachings this vengeance that they were teaching. Jesus was coming against what they were saying regarding the law of God, how they were twisting the law of God, and was upholding precisely what the law of God declares. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Part of the Pentateuch, Leviticus chapter 19. Remember, that mercy seat, We're short on platitudes and long on thinking. Loving him with our minds, amen. Look what it says in chapter 19, verse 17 of God's law in Leviticus. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Oh, my word. You mean you're not supposed to accommodate your neighbor to have whatever he wants to be or wants to do? 
You're to rebuke your neighbor? Yeah, that's what God's law commands of us, to rebuke our neighbor when they're doing wrong or they're doing evil and not bear sin because of him, God says here. And then look what he says. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So many think that Jesus brought that into the New Testament. No, Jesus was upholding Old Testament law. He was declaring Old Testament law again and again, and that's exactly what he's doing here. He's taking to task this false teaching of these Jewish scholars who were teaching a wrong idea about the Lex Talionis, and he's declaring exactly what God had to say. You're not to have vengeance in that way. You shouldn't want to get back at them fourfold and have that kind of attitude, tit for tat. Ever hear of the Hatfields and McCoys and what that leads to? So Jesus, contextually, was addressing the Lex Talionis, the law of retaliation, which was being wrongly taught at that time by Jewish teachers. And he declares the truth of God's law in order to confront it. The law of God wasn't given to foster vengeance. Rather, as we see here, God's law expressly forbade vengeance, personal vengeance. We were not to demonstrate or to practice. The law of God defined criminal acts and provided a proper judicial system for the nation as well as it would decisively terminate vengeance and vendettas by the teaching of Christ, by the teaching of God's word. You are not to take vengeance on your neighbor. As one scholar I read wrote, Jesus is doing nothing more than combating a personal use versus a public judicial use of the lex talionis, personal versus public. Let's talk about that for a moment. I have watched Christians do this all my life. They take what Jesus was addressing regarding the personal and they oppose it upon the public route. Christians are famous for this. They mix the private with the public. But we must remember the magistrates are given the sword of God's justice, per Romans 13. If you impose what we are to do at an individual level, on the public level, then there should be no laws or justice system at all. And see how good that goes after like 30 days. What's left of culture? We are to forgive what has personally happened to us, but if a crime has been committed, the magistrates bear the sword and are to bring public retribution. Matthew Henry, after noting this law of retaliation being taught by some Jewish teachers of Jesus' day, says this, following regarding our text, Matthew 5, 38 and 39. He says what the New Testament precept is, as to the complainant himself, his duty is to forgive the injury, as done to himself, and no further to insist upon the punishment of it than is necessary to the public good. See the distinction Henry made between the personal and the public? That's an important distinction. But what Christians do is they take what Jesus taught us is their duty on the personal and they try to impose it upon the public. And it's wrong. He went on to say, and this precept is consonant to the meekness of Christ. He said two things Christ teaches here. One, we must not be revengeful. 
Verse 39, I say unto you that you resist not evil, the evil person that is injurious to you. This is Matthew Henry. The resisting of any ill attempt upon us is here as generally and expressly forbidden as the resisting of the higher powers is, Romans 13. And yet this does not repeal the law of self-preservation and the care we are to take for our families. Remember, you have to look at a passage of Scripture in the light of whole of God's word. Scripture interprets Scripture as the hallmark of proper biblical hermeneutics. Scripture with a big S interprets Scripture with a small s. When you're looking at a particular verse, Scripture with a small s, you must look at it in the light of the whole of God's word, Scripture with a big S. Scripture with a big S interprets Scripture with a small s, and you look at it within the context in which it's found. So he says, what Christ says here, this is Matthew Henry, what Christ says here does not repeal the law of self-preservation, and the care we are to take of our families. You see someone raping your wife, your duty is not to stand there and say, well, I will not resist evil. Your duty is to intervene and take action. Matthew Henry goes on and says, we may avoid evil and we may resist it so far as necessary to our own security, but we must not render evil for evil. That's what Christ was addressing, this vengeance this law of retaliation. We must not bear a grudge, nor avenge ourselves, nor study to be even with those that have treated us unkindly, but we must go beyond them by forgiving them. He lists a whole bunch of scriptures, and then he says the law of retaliation must be made consistent with the law of love. You got this? This is like important stuff. Again, in light of the whole of scripture, to take what Jesus said here, do not resist an evil person, impose it as a maxim, for all and every area and occasion of life is to impose bad biblical interpretation. We have a duty to confront and denounce evil and bring proper solution to the evil, not accommodate to it, especially when it is a public evil, not just some little personal matter. The idea that Jesus meant in this passage that we are to sit by with indifference when evil is taking place in society is an absurdity. He was referring to personal attacks against us, personally. But so many Christians sit there in their indifference to evil and say, Jesus said we are not to resist evil. Do not resist the evil man. So even though all this evil is going on around me, I'm spiritual. I'm going to sit by in indifference and not do a thing about it. And the churchman ate a bet and taught this presupposition. It's the presupposition, this false teaching of love, this distortion of love that they've created that allows evil to proliferate in America. It's the presupposition upon which all this evil is built. One of the major presuppositions upon which all this evil is built. The truth is, Jesus was addressing a particular situation and was using extreme language to make a point, to come against this extreme and wrong teaching on the law of retaliation. These Christians who want to use this passage to justify their indifference to evil by sitting by while evil takes place, not against them, of course, but against others, why do they not pluck their eyes out and cut their hands off? Jesus used extreme language to make that point earlier here in Matthew chapter 5. Look at verses 29 and 30 of Matthew chapter 5. Just a few verses before this, verse 38 and 39 that we're looking at. He says, 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Why don't these people who are so big on being indifferent to evil cut their hands off and pluck their eyes out of their heads? Because everybody with a brain knows Christ is using extreme language here to make a point. That's why. Just as he's using extreme language here in our passage, and I don't have time to go all through 38, 39, 40, 41, 42 to show the extreme language he's using, but that's what he's doing, the same thing there. Notice that Jesus said what he said here in verses 27 through 30 regarding personal sin in our lives as he is talking about someone personally attacking us in verses 38 and 39. Yet they're not doing that. They're not cutting their hand off. They're not plucking their eyes out of their head. Why? Because Jesus was using extreme language to make a point. He was pressing things to the severity of the other way to make a point of what needed to be addressed to bring people so that the people who have personal sin in their lives won't view it as just a little thing. Ah, Jesus, he expects me to sin, right? Not really. He's talking about plucking your eye out of your head and cutting your hand off. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing here. He's coming against this wrong teaching about vengeance. So you can take vengeance on people up to fourfold. He's telling, you know, here's what you need to focus on over here. Forgiveness. Turning the other cheek. Letting people get the best of you. Those types of things. He is not saying be indifferent to evil. That isn't what Jesus is teaching. He is not saying you should never resist evil. Because that would be a complete contradiction of the word of God. Did not the prophets confront the evil of child sacrifice? Did not the prophets confront the evil of idolatry? Did not the prophets confront kings and tyrants? Businessmen and churchmen? Did not Abraham confront the evil of his family being stolen, taken? Did not Asa and Jehoshaphat confront and resist the evil of the Sodomites? Did not Jesus confront the evil of the money changers? Did not he confront the evil of the scribes and Pharisees, of the lawyers, of Herod? Did not John the Baptist confront the evil of Herod? Did not Paul confront the evil of the silversmiths exploiting the people with their little silver shrines of Diana? Did not Paul confront the evil of Elymas? They all resisted evil. Did not the early church confront the evil of the Colosseum? Did not the churchman Basil confront infanticide? Didn't Amy Carmichael confront the evil of child prostitution in the temples of India? Did not tens of thousands of Christians just recently confront the evil of abortion by interposing at the doors of these death camps themselves? Couldn't I stand up here for the next five hours straight and give giving you lists of God's people throughout history resisting and confronting evil? Yes, I could. 
No one is called by scripture to love evil. You can't be saying what the pietists are saying it's saying in Matthew 5, 38 and 39 in light of the whole of scripture. You can't say it. No one is called by scripture to love evil. The scriptures call upon us to do the exact opposite. We are to hate it. We are to resist it both by how we conduct our lives and by the proclamation of his law and word with our mouths. To say we should never resist evil becomes an evil in itself, as such teaching proliferates evil in the land. To say we should not resist evil is what is unloving. That's what's unloving. To say we shouldn't resist it. To say we should never resist evil becomes a treason against God and a betrayal of a neighbor. Is it proper to, in the name of love, and do not resist evil, to betray the weak to the wicked? To, in the name of love, and do not resist evil, to expose someone else's cheek to an attacker? To, in the name of love, and do not resist evil, wicked men be allowed to burn down churches, plant atheism, and destroy the nation? To, in the name of love and do not resist evil, stand by while children have their genitals mutilated and their minds corrupted? The truth is, it is precisely love which compels us to resist evil. True biblical love is what compels us to love. A true love for him and our neighbor is what compels us to resist evil, to confront it. The two are not at odds with one another, as American Christianity, American society would have you believe. We understand that confronting and opposing evil are acts of love in themselves. Love for God and love for neighbor are precisely what motivates and compels us to resist evil when we see it raise its ugly head. And also our hatred for the evil compels us to act. We cannot sit by in indifference, blithely chalking it up to our prophecy charts or the sovereignty of God, all used wrongly to justify indifference. Rather, we are bothered when we see his law or word being imputed by men or the governments of men. We must speak and we must act and we can do no other. Amen. Do not allow yourself, and this is my final plea to you this morning, Do not allow yourself to be neutralized by this distortion of love by American society and American churchmen. Don't let it happen to you. Look at scripture in its context. Look at the whole of God's word. Look at the history of Christianity up until it became the whore that it is about 100 years ago. Do not allow the churchmen and Christians of American Christianity to lull you to indifference and complacency and accommodation when evil is present and harming many. Don't do it. May Christ be praised. Let's stand up and we'll close in prayer. Father, you see how our hearts ache within us, Lord. How we see your church aiding evil in the land. Those who name your name aiding evil, the churchmen with their false teachings and beliefs and emphases. Not declaring the truth and whole counsel of your word to men, but this little sliver. Because they want to be liked, they want to fit in. 
They don't want to offend. They don't want to confront. Lord, I ask and pray that we would be faithful and true to you. Lord, so many as they age become weak, become accommodating, become indifferent to the evil. May it not be so with us. May our hearts burn within us. When we see evil in the land, may we speak, may we act, may we demonstrate true biblical love for you and for our neighbor, O God. Lord, we look to you to do these things. We are in need of you, O God. You are the vine and we are the branches. We can do nothing without you. We are utterly dependent upon you. And we ask, O God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you strengthen us to live faithful to you in these days. To have our hearts burn within us like the prophets of old that could not live in peaceful coexistence with evil. Could not live peacefully when the governments of men were impugning your law and your word, but spoke. May we do so, O God. Give us the strength by the power of your spirit. It's the clearness of thought to dismantle their evil. Lord, we give thanks and praise to you for the goodness that you have shown us. We pray that we faithfully make you known to others, that we present your gospel to men, that they can obtain forgiveness of their sins through Christ, that they can have right standing with you, meet with you, have fellowship with you, communion with you, be absolutely new creatures in Christ, transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit, regenerated by the power of your Holy Spirit, forever different by the power of your Holy Spirit. Will we just ask and pray that we bring that good news to men, that we don't keep that under a bushel, but that we put it on a candlestick and we make it known to men. Your law, your word, this great salvation for it is a light. And Lord, we ask and pray that you help each man here to be a priest to his home, to faithfully open his open your word to his wife and to his children, talk about the things of you in their home, O oh God. May each single person use their time, each young person use their strength, each older person use their wisdom to bring glory to you, to serve you faithfully with the days you've allotted each of us. Be glorified, I ask, O oh God. Help us to sense these things, to see these things, oh God, when they raise their ugly head. And may a fire well up within us that we must confront it. That they're actually using the love of you to sell evil to men. Grievous to our hearts, oh God. Hallelujah, God. Do a work within us, O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. May we be broken before you. Praise your name. Praise your name, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Lord. May you be praised. Amen. So we're going to take communion at this time.